Spicier than a Hydra baddie biryani and more defensive than Jev in Johannesburg traffic, it is the Motion E podcast. Yes, hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm S. Garlic and I'm with tonight Krzysztof Wojniak, uh, who is the presenter for Motovizia. So, so Krzysztof, um, lovely to have you on the podcast to talk about the Hyderabad E-Pri and other good stuff as well. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Hello to everyone. And I hope that you enjoyed the race because, well, it was a good one. Uh, it certainly was. Jack Nichols called it uh, the best race he'd seen in the last two years. Was that hyperbole or do you agree with him? In the last two years, I think he might be right. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't thinking too much about the statement. Uh, it wasn't like I was trying to remember all the races. But yeah, it was for sure a very interesting one, uh, both in terms of action, both in terms also in the preparations, because there was a little bit of spicy things uh, beh- uh, before the start. And at the end of the day, we had a really pa- fascinating battle for the win, full of mistakes, full of... Uh, crashes also uh, but on, at the end of the day i think the best driver won and with the best strategy and the best attitude towards the race clearly and um um i i wonder if the hyderabad epre rather reinforces uh, jean eric verne's position as uh, the the best pure uh, pure racecraft uh, race driver um, in Formula E. Uh, I mean, it's it's already won him two titles, but uh, it, we we saw glimpses of it last season when he outdid Da Costa uh, in Diaz Tachita's final year, and he seems to have taken it over to uh, the rather uh, rather shakier looking uh, Diaz Penske franchise. Um, and um, Diaz isn't quite there on pace yet, but as soon as Jev assumed the lead. Uh, he just kept it in front uh, by any means necessary. And, you know, there are some people who will say that, you know, there's the spirit and the letter of the rules. But to to me, defensive driving like that is an art form. And the the way he stayed ahead of uh, Cassidy, even though Cassidy had seemingly more pace from that Jaguar power unit, and also 2% more battery for most of the closing stages of the race, was just masterful, wasn't it? Yeah, to be honest, uh, I was a little bit worried if this strategy will pay off. But certainly, the Espensky team did their math right. And they calculated really fantastic strategy for the, the end part of the race. And thankfully for them, the, the the race director decided to add only one lap, not two. I think Envision was gambling that there will be two more laps, not one, and those few percent of battery would pay dividends for Cassidy. But still, at the end, uh, at the last two laps, he was in way better position on paper. But Jeff drove really defensively, really smart. And I think this is... This shows that it's not like you need to be simply faster than any other anybody else. You still those cars are still easy to overtake. It's not Formula One from a few years ago when you had so much downforce that it was impossible to fight one next to each other. Uh, those cars are very light, very nimble, 
so there is chance to to attack the other driver but Vern just did his homework just did the defense how she how he should and Cassidy was trying was really really trying but at the end of the day uh, Jean Ayvern is one of the most experienced drivers in the field one of the you said that he's might be the best in terms of racecraft I think he might I I really don't like to to speak in those terms like this is the the greatest driver or the greatest athlete of all time in that discipline etc etc but with performances like this and with those two championships uh, Jeff is clearly showing that yeah he's we- he's one of the really really top guys in the history of Formula E and for sure in this current field with how the other drivers are not in the best form or the form that we were sh- they were showing in 2014, 15, 16 Jeff is still on the top and this win is more thanks to him the, rather than just D.S. Penske being a top dog they still have problems with pace the, the uh, Stoffel von Dorn is still not fully in mm-hmm. and it's not the the pace that we expected after the test days, but they are catching. And you were asking, we were talk, we were talking before the start that maybe there are some teams that are gaining pace, and I think DS Penske will catch them. Yeah, when it was announced that Penske uh, Racing, Penske Autosport will be the factory DS team, I think it. Not many people believe that. Maybe it, when it was announced, it was yeah obvious because it was set for half a year. But when it was first reported by Sam Smith from the race, I I was laughing because well why do you let Techita die, one of the best teams in history of Formula E, a team that won you so much, to go to Jay Penske who we know it's. It's a little bit eccentric, and it showed right from the start of his stint in Formula E. Uh, but so far, it's there are promises. There are promises that this is a total disaster. Of course, yes, put a lot of their people there. So it's just the Penske uh, in the name only. Like there is Jay Penske and uh, the, some of his companies um, on the car. There are some people from the Penske Autosport, but most of the team is from the S. And it's really one of the greatest deals that Jay Penske did in his illustrious business career to get the S, to get uh, Jeff, to get Van Dorn. So they are catching, and they will catch. The first races were, in my opinion, sort of traditional. You know, get together, see what works, see what doesn't, see who is better at this uh, who is better at that and now we'll see the better performance the better pace it's like with a drivers you know like most of the rookies in formula e need four five six races to you know to get to the level that they can compete like for example sasha fenestras was mm. very fast in mexico and in diria but his problem was the energy management and it's a very common uh, rookie stuff yeah and, like, and actually Fenestras was uh, was extremely fast in qualifying in Hyderabad but qualifying yeah. is qualifying is the place where where you don't need to uh to play the endurance game do you 
Yeah, 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 you just pedal to the metal and you just extract all the power that you have from your powertrain. And in the beginning of the race, uh, he was also looking good, but uh, from lap after lap, he was losing position, he, uh, positions. He was losing this grip because, well, he he had to start energy, man energy management and it still looks like a problem. Of course, there were, there were over the years examples of very impressive performances. Nick DeFries, the best example. JQ. Mm. JQ's is uh, the best from the current grid, but of course JQ's is a new, in a way different position to all the other rookies because he spent so much time with the Mercedes uh, walking in the simulator. Uh, he knew all the stuff. He knew how it works. He just had to put this theory into practice. That's yeah. why he is one of the fastest drivers on the grid right now. Coming back to uh, just your your illusion that uh, this um, that that this might be uh, the greatest uh, the greatest deal of Jay Penske's illustrious business career. Um, that that is, by the way, saying something. And I'm not disagreeing with you here. But uh, uh, Jay Penske, um, uh, when when Rolling Stone looked like a redundant uh, dinosaur of the 1970s and 80s, Jay Penske bought it and brought it back to relevance. Uh, Jay Penske has since bought uh, Vox Media which is uh, probably i think the the best um you, you know all, um, all in content production house uh, in 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 terms of in terms of the video explainers it makes and in terms of the podcast it makes uh, it it does a tremendous job so uh, jay penske knows his onions when it comes to media but uh, you you're, you're right he hasn't been able to make the deals uh, in in motorsport up to now and i actually wonder you know, as as the owner of Rolling Stone and Vox Media and many other media franchises, um, is um, is it the case that there is nobody powerful enough to say no to Jay Penske and to say, you know, focus on your strengths? Is that why we see him on the Formula E in the Formula E paddock, looking at screens and playing team principal? Because he he must be aware that you know there is a better person to do that in the form of Thomas Chevauchet, who is currently doing a backroom role for DS. Um, is is he not aware of his own limitations? Do you think? I think this isn't about uh, his idea of about himself. It's it's more to do with the fact that when you think Penske, you think about Roger Penske in terms of motorsport. And mm. I think the the whole idea of Dragon Racing, as it started in IndyCar and later Formula E, was to show that yeah, there is other new Penske in town. Uh, this might be just a tinfoil theory, but. When you see that Team Penske is run by Team Syndrick right now, and Roger didn't invite his own son to, to the business to run the mm -hmm. team, he decided that, yeah, screw you, that I will do it myself. And that's why Dragon Racing was born in 2012. Yeah, I think 2012 was the first year. I, I, th I, think, I think they were running in, uh, um, in, in, IndyCar. in IndyCar before that, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The, they were in IndyCar. They partnered with Lotus mm -hmm. uh, in 2012, which was a catastrophic. Because <laughs> I remember the, that. Yeah. The Lotus Ilmore engines were, I think it was Ilmore engines. They were bad. It, they it's, were bad. It's funny Just... how it's funny how often that uh, that Lotus IndyCar comes back on the podcast as well, because um, <laughs> it, because Elizabeth Blackstock and I were talking about Simona de, de Silvestro and how uh, she has this career of having to drive the wheels off terrible cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I really was uh, 
so sad to to see Simona in that season being the only one that stayed with that horrible, horrible engine to the end of the year when every single team moved to to Chevrolet or Honda. Uh, her team was the only one that stayed with with Lotus. But moving back back to the Jay Penske, I think this is this is simply the fact that this is his passion project, and you know it bears his name. His name is on the uniform, is on the team, and it's his passion project, and that's why he tries to to work on it because he spent so much time and effort to to put this racing team. So I think that's why he he keeps this position of being the team principal, the, despite the fact that in the last few years, uh, the Penske Autosport experience wasn't that great. Uh, mm. The times of the first seasons with McAfee as, as one of the biggest sponsors with Lake Duval, uh, Jean D'Ambrosio and fighting for wins for podiums <laughs> was very long gone. And... Dragon uh, Penske was very strange in terms of the media presence. Like, you said that he's a media conglomerate and he has vast experience in well, the media. And, but... and actually, um, Dragon Penske, the Formula E team, had, I believe, for most of their lifetime, uh, one person whose job it was to do both sponsorship and media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm still remembering uh, how I got a press release, uh, I think two seasons ago, when they showed the car uh, on the internet, on Twitter, etc., etc. And then I got the press release, I don't know, a few days later or one week later. So it, it shows you that they really didn't care too much about, you know, the media aspect of the team owned by a media mogul. But uh, going back to our main topic, yeah, it's his team. It, he pays most of the... It's, I don't know how it works right now. I think Diaz puts lots of stuff in it. And I think right now, uh, you mentioned all the people that are from Diaz that are uh, in the background doing hmm. some stuff. I think they are basically running the team and Jay, Jay is there to just, you know, to sit in his headphones and, you know, smile and say, yeah, yeah, great, fantastic job, guys. Thank you so much. Get the trophy uh, like last weekend in Hyderabad. And, and that's it because, well, he pays a lot of money. Like you mentioned Rolling Stone, it's on the car. Most of the companies owned by Jay Penske, most of the companies that were on the car for most of its history, they are there, so he yeah. pays a significant bill, and I think uh, I would even expect from him that in the part of the negotiations with DS was that, okay, we'll get most of your people, most of your technical people to run the technical boring stuff, but I'm still the boss. Yeah. Even if it's in the name only to just, you know, be shown on the camera and, you know, be in the, in the glamour, in the, in the lights. And uh, but by the way, it's the first win for the DS Penske uh, union. But it's worth sparing a thought for DS Tachita because um, I it's it's passing uh, um, as um, as as a as a corporate entity. 
you know, it, it got some press in the motorsport media, but uh, in, in uh, wider recognition, there, there, well, there was almost no wider recognition of it actually um, um, not not being part of Formula E. I, I believe that um, uh, there, there were struggles to get the bills paid from Tachita's side, as in the Chinese uh, seeker finance side, uh, from even before last season, I, I think uh, um, I think it was reported by the race that the previous season, uh, Jev and Antonio were at one point contacting their agents to say, "Keep your eyes out for a seat, guys, because we might need it." Um, and uh, obviously, things went from bad to worse in the closed season, uh, the season before last, because uh, uh, Mark Preston took a backseat role trying to get finance for Tachita, the team, and uh, Thomas Chevauche from Stellantis took over as the team principal. Now, I thought uh, Chevauche seemed like a real smooth operator. He seemed to be uh, getting the team back on its back on its feet. Not that Preston is by any means a bad operator, of course. I mean, loads of experience. But I, I really like Chevauche, and it seems like now he actually wanted to be a high level, you know. Uh, backroom office worker all the time because he's gone back to being uh, director of racing for Stellantis which is probably the thing he always wanted to do in the first place and uh, you know of course uh, Jay Penske is back uh, run running the pit lane uh, for them but it was a strange situation with Tachita um, I mean it's it's wrong to draw conclusions based on stereotypes so I'm going to try and avoid doing that but we have seen in football a lot of Chinese-owned football clubs run into financial trouble very quickly because sometimes the purse strings can get pulled. Or, you know, um, uh, we've, we've seen with the collapse of Evergrande that uh, Chinese companies quite often can believe they're very well financed and then suddenly find that they're not. Um, is there a certain volatility in doing business with uh, Chinese venture capital firms, for example, such as Seeker, that makes it difficult, made it difficult for Tachita, um on the on the European side, on the DS side, to actually uh, view it as a reliable partner any longer? I wouldn't say so. Uh, the race, as you mentioned, and Sam Smith was reporting that for years. The, the Chinese investors were trying to sell the team. And from what I remember, there was a point when there was an investor, uh, some guy from crypto business, let's say, mildly, was trying to get the team. But at the end of the day, the deal were, didn't went through. And that's why the Chinese investors decided, yeah, it, this doesn't work anymore, so we are out. Uh, and I really, I'm really, I'm sad that DS didn't try to save the team and, you know, to, to make it the whole, the full work team, like DS racing or DS performance racing or whatever, hmm. because, well, the more teams, the better, uh, as always, this is the first reason. But the second is that, you know, it's a from the very short his in the very short history of Formula E. This is a historic team. The the amount of stuff they did right from the start when they were privateers of Renault, one of the very few privateers at the start, and the fact that they were able to fight with Renault that was very dominant in those years, that they were able to beat them at their own game using their own power trades. Hmm. The fact that they moved to the S and without any problems, they were still at the top. They were still winning championships. 
it's really significant in the short history and it, it's such a shame that such a team is now gone but i think i think mark preston will be back because he has experience he has contacts and he has will he has will to to come back because he achieved so much and you know with that experience with people around him that probably would still be uh if he decided to come back well wh what's not the reason what would stop him other than you know money <laughs> and lack of it right now so i believe the, che the cheetah or uh, mark preston team or aguri or whatever you want to call them will be back someday but yeah it it's sad that they are not part of the grid anymore because two more seats would be very fun would mm -hmm. make racing more interesting. Of course, the question would be what powertrain would the private the cheetah team got, but it doesn't really matter. The more the merrier. And I think even with neo powertrains, they would be still able, <laughs> able to fight for for good points. Especially when you consider that Neo is trending in really good direction mm -hmm. with Edge City Camera. Yep, and uh, uh, th there there were noises coming out of uh, Tachita um, uh, suggesting that they felt that they had a powertrain sewn up for this season. Uh, that 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 was as late on as uh, uh, as as uh, well. Um, in, in fact, uh, shortly after the final race in Korea of last season. Now, uh, that that leads me to believe that at some point between Korea and uh, Valencia testing, they were denied a license because uh, presumably uh, if they felt they had a powertrain sewn up and if they were not uh, bluffing uh, reporters, then that means that they were slated for a second Neo 333 supply, which would have been good for Neo 333. I'm sure, you know, Russell O'Hagan would have been... Um, would have been cock a hoop at that um and um i i think that it would have been good for formula e to have that extra team on the grid uh i suspect that one of the reasons to cheetah didn't make it was financial and maybe another one was because um certain people uh um w with with the power to decide these things just felt that they couldn't be trusted to actually keep their end of the bargain in terms of finishing the season. I, I don't know. Is um, Am I completely off-beam there? I don't know. I, I For sure, people that are, that were in the town know the best, and we can speculate, and of course, there are people like Sam Smith mentioned before that know the truth quite well. But at the end of the day, the most important stuff is that they are not on the grid. It didn't work out. They didn't have enough finance to, to jump in. And I think it would be very, very hard in such late state to, to create something. Because, well, uh, as you mentioned, there was many people from the S that joined the team and basically replaced the old guys, replaced those people that worked uh, in the first years of uh, Cheetah and worked with Renault. So it would be hard to, to form the stuff so late, like uh, between Korea and Valencia, there wasn't much time. And we know how many problems the Gen 3 cars had in testing. So maybe, maybe Mark Sutton decided it's not safe to, it's better to spend the year gaining capital gaining experience seeing how things are doing how got uh, how done with gen 3 cars 
hmm. and get experience, maybe poach some people and talk. Yeah, let's get the crew back together, find some new people, maybe. Uh, we shall see. We are going uh, very, very fast to the end of the season, unfortunately. Well, on one hand, it's going to be fast. On one hand, it's going to be long because the, the breaks between races right now will be long. But still, we are in February. Most of the people are thinking like the season is going to start right now because we are so much uh, with so much experience from any other different category, like Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, whatever. So it's going to be fast. It's going to be fast and frantic. And if this, if there will be the 12 team on the grid, I think they should be preparing right now and talking with people because. It's I think Mark Preston, uh, as I said, won't be someone that is going to jump just fast, fast, let's do something, let's just be there, just to be there. He will try to make it as good as it gets. Because even the Aguri team, which wasn't the greatest team, was very, very strong right from the start with Antonio Flex da Costa, with <laughs> Catherine Leg, mm -hmm. with Takuma Sato at one point. I won't mention uh, the other driver that was there in season one because he he is very known senator in Japan right now. But behind the wheel, he he wasn't the greatest driver in the world. Oh, is that is that but, Sarkon Yamamoto? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Is, yeah. He, is he a senator <laughs> in Japan? Uh yeah, yeah. He is a senator in Japan, and he's also one of the key figures behind the Tokyo Prix. Well, that's something I didn't know. Um, the, the, he the, even uh, drove the the promotional Gen Two car in Tokyo uh, last year, and I think he crushed it. The the only the the only other racing driver I can think of in politics, if if you don't count Mohammed Ben Sulayam, is uh, uh, is is the late Carlos Reutemann, who uh, um, yeah. cons considered for many years as an Argentine senator running for the presidency, but it never happened in the end. Yeah, uh, I think Emerson Fittipaldi also was trying, uh, was keeping his toes in the water of politics. I, I don't remember now if he, for sure he was running. I don't think he was elected. But yeah, not many people from motorsports uh, in are going to the politics. But yeah, Sakon Yamamoto is more than an example of one. Very interesting. Um, thank, thank you for thank you for that pearl of wisdom that I genuinely had no idea of. Um, so talking about Hyderabad, um, quite quite a circuit. Uh, not that many overtaking opportunities, but it did uh, obviously produce a great race. Um, but uh, one thing that caught my eye because um, I. I, I now have his tweets sent directly to Discord so that I can uh, so that I can monitor them as soon as they come up. Sam Smith was having a real George Harrison moment uh, by himself by the lake, uh, just uh, you know taking in the wonderments of uh, of of uh, that part of India, and uh, re really seemed to be uh, taken by it in a, in a way that I've not seen really since since the Beatles discovered India in the sixties. But uh, joking apart, uh, it it really seemed to catch the attention, ca capture the imagination of uh, the uh, the Formula E media who went there. Um, and uh, th there were a few curios about the circuit. For example, it, it's, it seemed like quite a dusty circuit. It seemed like one where if you got remotely offline, then you'd be in trouble on those very hard hand cooks um, uh, off, um, um, in terms of grip. And um, 
I think we saw that in terms of Mortara and Sam Bird, both uh, both losing it under breaking on the inside of uh, the hairpin in exactly the same way and both having the same, basically the same accident with another car. In Sam's case, it was double the problem because it was with his own teammate, Mitch Evans, uh, during the race. Um, now, I, I think we can discount the idea that it was terrible driving that uh, caused those errors. I mean, they both seemed like sort of Formula 4 type errors in terms of drivers just going into a hairpin too hot and having no choice but to take out the other car. Was that because of the dust off line or was that because the handcuffs were too hard and were were hard to uh, get uh, proper traction on? Or um, uh, was it just terrible driving? I wouldn't call it terrible driving, I would just call them mistakes, and some bird was very fast on the radio to say he's sorry, this was his mistake, and at the end of the day, it, after two practice sessions, after qualifying, and after a few laps of the race, most of the drivers should be aware that, you know, this is a problem, that if you go offline, as you said, there, there won't be as much grip as at the start. Oh, on the sorry on the racing line so it was risky and some people did it better some people did it worse like motora and and some bird so of course the fact that it was very dusty it, there was tons of leaf, leaves even before the start of the race uh, on the surface and the handcuffs aren't uh, really much helpful in this situation of course this are uh, these are all the circumstances that led to the to these crashes but at least in my opinion part of the blame for the jaguar incident is on the jaguar because well if they didn't risk it with mitch evans going from the lead from the lead of the race to the attack mode and giving up the track position and later losing it to others that were going to attack mode after even uh, after Evans, uh, if it wasn't for that, Mitch wouldn't be in this position. Some, if he if he would make this mistake, would probably go into some someone others. It wouldn't be as much painful as it was for the team that had the basically home race because Jaguar is now owned by Tata, and Tata is an Indian company that mm. is now doing business with Formula E. They are now partners. Uh, I think that the communication it was announced on Saturday. Ah. So one of the companies from this group is now working with Formula E. Jaguar is owned by the Indians, so it was important race for them, and it was ruined at the end of the day by the team decision. Uh, and it's not like it was they were the first ones to to risk it because in Deria we had something very similar. I think it was also Jaguar that. Uh, sacrifice the the first position on track to you know to gain in the later stages it didn't work out they tried again it didn't work out again so part of the blame lays on jaguar but in terms of what was the main reason behind the fact that motara did the what he did and bird did what he did it was you know simple mistake the incursions of traffic onto the Hyderabad E Prix circuit briefly um, uh, put, 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 putting a stop to first practice um, 
won't have helped uh, Hyderabad's cause if it wants to be retained on next season's Formula E calendar, I wouldn't have thought. Um, there, there is some discussion over whether it will remain. I, I think um, purely from a racing point of view and purely from the point of view of you want street circuits to look different, you want them to be in picturesque locations, you, you would have to say that that lakeside view with the uh, with with the uh, dual carriageway that they ran up and down um, is the, the perfect scenery for a street circuit. And actually, Formula E operations um, um, d- did a pretty good job of of showing that it, it, it wasn't just a case of uh, the the high uh, Julius Baer and DHL boards obscuring the city this time. Um, the frustration is that we do quite often get these great venues taken away from us for um, circumstances outside of uh, well Formula E's control a lot of the time, and uh, you you know obviously uh, it it looks like you know whether you want to call it a great location or not it looks like uh new york um obviously isn't back this season and well question marks over next season we hope it'll be back but uh uh korea as well was was billed as a tremendous inclusion on the formula e calendar when it came along something that was going to really break through to that vital asian market and potentially attract hyundai and kia into um, into the sport and um, that now looks like it's uh, it's 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 off the books as well. So we we do quite often get these great things taken away from us for various reasons. Um, how do you feel about the Hyderabad circuit? First of all, how do you feel about the uh, rather weird allowing of traffic onto the circuit by um, seemingly harassed security guards? Uh, and um, how do you feel about uh, uh, the possibility of it being retained in the future? Well, the layout was quite good, especially when you compare it to very narrow European tracks that we had, like Paris, like Rome. Uh, for sure, it's something better and more exciting also for the racing, as we saw, and more fit for faster cars, because this will be also a problem. Maybe not now with the, the performance of Hankook tires, and with still the learning curve of the new generation of cars. But Hyderabad with this layout should be fine in the next two, three, five years. No matter what happens with the next generation, what happens with the current generation, etc., etc. For sure, it's better than the proposed, the proposed layout, the triangular one, let's say. Mm. Uh, it was a very good race, as I said. Uh, as you said, it was very picturesque, and that's very important in terms of city races and the Formula E, because the one of the ideas behind it is to you know to show electric cars in very famous, very tourist attractive places, like as I said in Paris we had races near the Eiffel Tower, and I really love those pictures. In New York we had uh, the panorama of Manhattan uh, in the background. And here we had, you know, a very vibrant Indian city. Uh, you mentioned that Sam Smith was having his Harrison Ford moment. And yeah, Hyderabad George Harrison. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hyderabad is a very picturesque uh, city. Of course, India is a very vibrant country with a massive population, massive market also. Uh, that was very helpful. Uh, and I will go to, to it later hmm. uh, you 
yeah, the first part was uh, was the layout good. The second was because I remember the third the third was uh, if I think the the race will stay uh, will stay on. Uh, so um, do do you think that the the incident? Oh with, yeah, uh, uh, I, I, the, yeah, which yeah, yeah, yeah. Se- seemed to seemed to be. Uh... Seem to not show a lack of professionalism, but seem to show a lack of control that you rarely see in a world championship uh, race meeting. And I just yeah. wondered if that might affect its retention in the future. Uh, yeah. Uh, and from the signals sent by the FIA unofficially and more officially, both to the international media and to the local media, they were very unpleased. And, you know, are you surprised? No, of course not, because for street circuit, of course, you should have security that it's top-notch and is trying to, you know, to make sure that no one unwanted goes on the circuit because it could end up possibly in a bad way. Uh, it doesn't matter if this is the street circuit or is it's a permanent circuit. Uh, you have to keep the security in place. Will this be a problem for the FIA? I I don't think so, at least right now. If this will happen next year, the, the year after, that there will be incidents like this, of course, the FIA will step in and go to the FEO and say, guys, this isn't working out. These guys are not taking care of, of safety as they should. So in the long term, incidents like this for sure will affect, but Right now, they will just go, okay, you have a yellow card. This shouldn't happen. In this environment, in in what the World Championship event, things like this are just no. No, you, sh- you don't do that. You don't allow that. Uh, it won't affect because the attention from the fans, from the people in India, from the Indian celebrities, from the Bollywood, from the crit- cricket world was fascinating it was massive uh i read on reddit people really passionate just going crazy like yeah i got tickets to hydrobati free i'm so excited what what should i learn about formula what should i do and you could see that the grandstands were full at the race uh, something that isn't very common you mentioned seoul we had a stadium section and that stadium wasn't wasn't full uh, without a doubt, uh, but yeah, it's a massive market with massive number of people, very passionate uh, about sports, very passionate also about the national pride, and the fact that we have the Indian team, Mahindra, was quite helpful, uh, mm-hmm. without a doubt, because they were promoting it, they were trying to to show, yeah, this is our race, so you know, j- come join us, and of course, right now you could say. Mahindra isn't that Indian, let's say, uh, as it was before, because there is no driver from India in the race team like Karen Chandler was in the first years. There's no Dilbakil as team principal, so it was so it's more international team, but it's still it's a pride of India. Mm. It's a pride of Indian motorsport community. And that's why people came there. Also because they were interested, because for decade, there wasn't big international event in terms of motorsport in this country, and Formula E was the first one. MotoGP will be back; uh, will be for the first time this year if all the things will work out. 
uh, at the Bort uh, International Circuit. But yeah, Formula E was the first one. And with the interest from the city, from the region, because on the boards you could see, let's say, adverts from the local government, uh, the seals of uh, the region, of the cap, of the city, etc., etc., it will be back. It was, in my opinion, commercially a success. And at the end of the day, this is really important. People came to this race. The problem with Seoul was that they were high expectations. I remember when it was announced, this race, it, it was announced before the pandemic. And BTS, of course, we all know what BTS is. They were announced as Formula E ambassadors. And yes, they were meant um, so, to play. something something which uh, seems to dematerialize as soon as it materialized, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it might be because of the pandemic, you know. Uh, pandemic, uh, the coronavirus really this destroyed, let's say, many things. Um, especially uh, arguably, the arguably, the coronavirus did a number on Formula E more than any yeah. other form of motorsport because um, it, if you've got a city, a city street circuit race formula, uh, then it's it's going to require people to be able to come to the middle of cities, obviously. And, you know, we, we talked about this a lot during the lockdown. We talked about uh, what the potential future of Formula E was. I think the truth is they still haven't recovered the sorts of crowds they were getting in city street in city centres um, uh, prior to the pandemic, and I don't think the pandemic is completely or even mostly to blame for that. But it's certainly a factor, isn't it? The the post pandemic recovery and the cost of living crisis and all kinds of economic factors. Yeah, yeah, all the things that you said are very very important, but in my opinion, the most the worst stuff for Formula E was that they still didn't recover from the fact that there was a period of just no promotion and they had to scramble to, to finish the season. They had to scramble to, to start a new one. And to the to the point of the, the final regular race in 2020, Formula E was on massive rise. Uh, we experienced that uh, on our own eyes. We've both been on many races, we, we've seen so many people coming to the races. We've seen some fantastic stuff, lots of engagement, lots of interest in Formula E, and it all stopped. And they didn't recover from it. They are trying, and you know, at the end of the season, we'll probably get the, the press release that, oh my gosh, the TV figures are so big and they are better than last year, etc., etc. But as you said, the pandemic did a very significant damage to, to Formula E. And they are still trying to, to walk in new ways. When this coronavirus break, as I like to call it, it allowed to realize to so many championships that they have to be active, that they have to put themselves on the social media, they have to force themselves on the internet to get to the people. Meanwhile, Formula E is still trying to get people from TV. Well, and, uh, yeah, and... TV partners are important, but for so... example, the the Formula E Unplugged, yeah, the the, uh, the version of Drive to Survive, etc. It's a great series, but in most of the countries, it's available 
on the the platform on the TV channel that broadcasts the race. Yeah, uh, the, uh, for, for, Formula E is a is is at fault in this sense because um, it still has people uh, in marketing who view getting a terrestrial TV deal as being the golden egg, which it which which it was in let's say two thousand and two, two thousand and three. I don't think it is in twenty twenty three, and I'm 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 sorry if you're if you're burying fantastic content like the Real Housewives-esque driver's room on the Formula E website. Don't be surprised when it doesn't create a buzz. You know, it, um, I mean, for, for, for the love of God, you know, um, I... I make a I make a small motorsport website. Um, my articles get limited traction compared to what they would if they were on Autosport. I I'm I'm not prepared to give my work away for free, but I would be prepared to um, give my articles to a large uh, uh, media outlet occasionally for the exposure. Uh, Formula E doesn't seem to want to do that. It seems to want to keep everything totally controlled on its own platforms, which have obviously a far smaller reach than YouTube does. Yeah, yeah. And that's really a big problem because, well, as you s- I wouldn't agree that chasing a DVD isn't as attractive as it was in 2002, for example, because just look at the money that is sport in the TV contracts around the world in terms of football, in terms of any other sport. It's still ah, a very but, important but, but, Christoph, that's football. Uh, fo- football, yeah. football has that culture, that baked-in audience. When you've got something brand new like Formula E that no one's seen before, don't you need it to be to be out there free-to-air for, for, for people to see as easily as possible? I was going to say that, uh, yeah, it's important to chase the good money. If the money is big, yeah, let's do it. But if the result is that you get the the Channel 4 deal in the United Kingdom that they don't even broadcast all the races on TV, then what's the point? What's the point of just putting a TV deal just to have a DVD, a TV deal that isn't even worth it for you? Uh, So I agree with you that they should try to, to put more content on the internet they maybe even should try and risk just broadcasting it live uh on youtube Mm. and whatever Uh, it will be high it will be very risky because i would imagine eurosport is paying lots of money to have the rights for most of the europe and they are the tv channels that also have their part their share of Mm. the bill but the very important part is what you said about putting content on the Formula E website. The times of websites are in a way gone. Because if I want to read something, I will go to Twitter. I will go. Uh, some people would go to Facebook. Some people would go to TikTok. Some people would go to Reddit. Some people would go to their Discord server, whatever. And if they find something interesting, Okay, they will open the link and they will go to that website and they will they will read it. But times of people going to every single website of every single championship or of every single league of every single newspaper that they are interested are, in my opinion, gone. So there is no point in just putting, in locking yourself from that content because if it's posted on 
social media, it's also better to share because mo more people will be enticed to share because, oh, they will, they will see, they will like it. And they will try to make sure that other people will see it. Some of them will like it. Some of it, some of them will share it to other people and they will share it to other people, etc., etc., etc. And when you post a link to a, to the outside website, well, most of the social media platforms don't like that. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Uh, Twitter isn't as bad in this as Facebook. But, you know, if you use Facebook and if you post links and some other content, it's kind of obvious that Facebook doesn't like links to anything that is outside of Facebook. And the posts can have the audience slashed very, very easily. So... It, it's very, it's, it seems easy even to, you know, to put more content on the YouTube, to put more content on Twitter, to put more content on TikTok, TikTok, etc., etc., etc. Content that is interesting because the Formula E operations, the Formula E management still, in my opinion, have a problem that many big companies has. It's like they are trying to get to Gen Z or whatever, and they think they know this. They, oh my God, the kids these days are just watching the influencers and they want some fast wow stuff, etc., etc. That's why in Mexico we had some influencers known from the football world that they were flown to Mexico, they did some stuff, they do some electric go-karts, they watch the qualifying, they watch the race from hotel room, if I remember correctly, and, you know, that's it. Mm. Like, how on earth it's trying to, it will help to promote it. Like, in the days of the first influencer era in Formula E, when they were doing broadcasts with YouTubers, you know, that was KSI. Who is a really big guy? I'm not a fan of his. Uh, I don't watch his content, but I know at least who he who he is. And yeah. Know who he is. And, and I I think we're both about twenty years too old for KSI's content, but <laughs> it, he he is massive. And uh, I I remember watching those early Voltage shows. Uh, they were in season five, and thinking, um, you, you know, this is a brave experiment. Uh, it doesn't quite work, but it's a brave experiment. And I I felt that uh, they they tried a course correct because they they tried to get uh, uh, Scott Mitchell in from Autosport as their as their sort of token token pundit stroke boffin in the studio who actually knew about Formula E. But by that stage, the audience had already uh, the, the audience they had had already deserted them and. I think that that uh, showed the previous regime of Formula E that you that you can't just um, bring in famous people and get them to talk enthusiastically about your category. Uh, and, you know, goodness knows, we, we both know uh, Formula E fans uh, who have a much smaller audience, um, but who would be would would probably bring the majority of that audience with them. Uh, if, and and who have a significant following uh, on on socials, so it is possible with the right people, I think. But 
I think that the problem is that, uh, and again, they've made this mistake with the current influencer campaign, that they're trying to bring people across uh, from, uh, and, and that they're trying to get people to bring their, to bring their uh, social following across from other platforms and other places, without really any baked in fandom there and uh i i think they need to uh set that set their sights a little bit lower in terms of the uh the audience numbers they can expect and make sure that whoever they bring is already someone from the automotive or motorsport or even sustainable energy world i mean look zach efron's just made a series about uh, sustainable living on netflix I wonder if anyone's asked Zac Efron if he'd be willing to do a Formula E show. I I don't think he'd say yes, but it would be good to ask him. Remember the days when uh, Leo DiCaprio was involved in Formula E? Yes. That seems like a few decades ago. And, yeah. you know, it it is something that they should chase. They should chase the people that are interested in sustainable energies because they are some motoring content creators uh, on the internet but you know most of the those creators are more petrol heads and might not like the electric racing etc etc but still the biggest problem for me is that they are trying to to catch new viewers from the outside of the motorsport world with something that isn't really racing that's isn't really motorsport because even the uh, the show that you mentioned, Chip, uh, Formula E Voltage, was hmm. a broadcast of people watching the race broadcast. It, it, it was it was it, it was essentially a Twitch stream without any of the fun of a Twitch stream, wasn't it? Yeah, and it also wasn't the fact it wasn't just people watching and you know making comments like, "Oh my gosh, this is so exciting," etc., etc. They were bored, they were playing games, they were using Real Racing Freon simulator to test themselves, etc. So wh what does it say to the viewer, to the person that decided to watch it? Because yeah, I know KSI, I like KSI, I want to watch KSI do some stuff. What does it point what doesn't what does it show to this person that KSI isn't watching the race, is just playing games? Of course, this will mean to this person that, yeah, this race is boring because this guy isn't watching this race and he was paid to, ra to watch this race, right? Uh, so I really wish that Formula E, I know that they're trying to get the new people because most of the motorsport fans aren't, won't be, will never be fans of Formula E because it's electric, because the cars are making vroom vroom, they are making vroom vroom, etc, etc. But still, they are trying too hard. From my perspective, this is trying too hard. This is the, you know, the famous community meme, how do you do fellow kids? Like, <laughs> I'm 25, I'm, I'm not uh, that young, but still, when I see those attempts to you know, to just guess what young people want, what young people need, what young people are expecting. For sure, it isn't this. For sure, it isn't this. And going back to Formula E Unplugged, because uh, I wanted to say that, yeah, it's on TV channels. 
TV channels that you probably bought or you probably have because you like Formula E. And you probably won't buy those TV channels to watch this series. The, the massive success of Drive to Survive wasn't because of the drama, wasn't because it was fantastically produced with great quality content. It was because on, it was on Netflix. And mm. most of us humans have Netflix, have access to Netflix. And, and Netflix promoted it. it. Like it, uh, after the, the premiere in March, you have pushed this. You would go on the Netflix front page and it would show you, yeah, Drive to Survive, watch it now. And it, it it's was, good. It was the discovery factor. Um, I, I saw a video from an American TikToker um, who was, uh, I, I, in fact, it was on Instagram Reels, but, you know, um, I, I'm sure the video was originally on TikTok. They all were. But uh, <laughs> she was talking about how, um, you know, oh, oh, my God, you know, I've just discovered Formula One. Um, uh, don't know much about it, but all of these people look like models and uh, and and it's and, and it's so funny and I love the drama. And I, I just thought, you know, that's exactly the kind of new following that, uh, that every sport needs people who are enthusiastic about the participants first because you know I I started to watch rugby because I liked Johnny Wilkinson I started to uh, I, I started to uh, look at uh, fo football because my dad uh, um, told me about the Everton and Liverpool players so um, everyone needs a way in and that way in is usually through the personalities so Drive to Survive does that brilliantly I'm led to believe Formula E Unplugged does it brilliantly as well. But um, where I think they went wrong was they went for those terrestrial TV deals and it seems like terrestrial TV turned around and said, OK, sure, we'll do it at uh, 8.30 on Saturday morning. You know, and so they 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 stuck it in, in their graveyard or, or in their sort of uh, red-eye slots and... Um, Obviously, Formula E doesn't have any control over that because it doesn't have the leverage to say no. We want it at seven o'clock on a Saturday. Um, yeah. So uh, and 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 of course, because it's been ghettoized into terrestrial TV, there's there's no way of seeing it on YouTube currently. Yeah, yeah, and as I was saying, there are many sports, there are many entities that are trying to replicate the success of Right to Survive without realizing this main thing that it was on Netflix, it was promoted on Netflix. Like, you can make the best behind-the-scenes content, the best documentary, but if people won't know about it, well, who will, who will watch it? And why some, we have so many documentaries about sports teams, about sports league on Amazon Prime Video? Because people know that on Prime Video, you probably will find something. It's also very accessible. It's quite cheap, relatively, you know, to, to other platforms. So it's good value and you can associate. Yeah, if you want something sporty, you probably go to a Prime Video and you will find something interesting. Uh, MotoGP was on uh, Prime Video, but there was many, many more problems specific to Amazon Prime video as a whole like hmm. distributions like what is available in this country and it's not on this one etc etc but the problem with the formula e unplugged i watched it it's really fast fantastic it's how i would do drive to survive it's no bs it's no 
uh, journalists trying to, to you know to, to stir the pot and whatever to create drama and oh my god bars when there's no need for this it just shows the people shows the real emotions so shows the racing and that's my biggest complaint of drive to survive it doesn't show racing as much as they could but what's why would it could be the best it could be worth oscars and whatever but if people won't see it well no one will come no one will come to to watch formula e of course someone might get it on the terrestrial tv channel by accident and see yeah it's cool maybe i will watch the race but it's still a very small number of people at the end of the day it's all in the bubble it's all in the same bubble if you watch formula e you probably know about Formula E Unplugged, and you probably watch it on the TV channel that you watch Formula E, and, you know, it's a circle. It's a flat circle because the same people are doing this, and no one knew is coming because there is no access. I, I remember that it will, I think it will be published on YouTube uh, in some point in the future, I think in March. But still, it's too late because the season will be in the halfway point, and you know it's it's a documentary about the previous season, so it's completely different track, uh, cars, completely different teams right now, so it won't be as helpful. And you know, being on YouTube isn't also the the guarantee that it will be a success. Look at the BTCC documentary on the limit it's fantastic mm -hmm. i really love uh, they are doing it from 2020 mm -hmm. they uh, put episodes on youtube and i think it's only on youtube they don't broadcast it on itv but their problem is that you cannot watch btcc outside of great britain of course legally you can find some ways like you can pretend your computer is in different places etc etc yeah but legally formally you cannot watch the racing outside of UK. So, of course, they don't even try to promote it as much. They put some tweets. Yeah, you can see the new episode on YouTube, etc. But it's still the same source, the same bubble of people that, yeah, I know BTCC, so I will watch BTCC documentary. And, but believe, that, and, and believe me, the name recognition for BTCC is still so great because of what they did in the 90s and 2000s that yeah. if, if there were a way to watch it internationally, I think people would come to it just because of what they knew it as being before. And I think they would be pleasantly surprised by the product that's out there at the moment because it's really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just screaming every single year at ITV, at UK TV laws, why on earth I cannot watch even video material on Twitter from the races hmm. because it's geoblocked. Like, I know that this is part of the UK law that it's because of, it's on the national broadcaster channel, etc., etc. But still, I'm mad as hell that I, that I see a very nice move. And I want to show to the world, like, see, there is a great championship that you can watch and you can spend your time entertained but no i cannot because this championship and the broadcaster of this championship says if you you are not british you don't count <laughs> you don't count so uh just to uh sort of um put put a nice bow on this conversation because uh, 
um, we we on this podcast, myself and all of the guests that uh, that I that I have on this, are very good at identifying problems in marketing. We're, we're not always very good at identifying solutions. So, for me, the solution is um, stick more things on YouTube, including full races, and uh, um, make sure that that's part of the broadcasting deal that you negotiate uh, prior to each season. What would be your solution? Oh, for sure, more content on the internet. I think putting more history because, well, I said that it's short, but at the end of the day, it's not that short. It's 2023. We started in 2014. So there is a big back catalog, especially the catalog that in the first years was available for free on YouTube very openly. So I would try to put some of the old races, especially those good ones, like before we started recording, I was thinking that it would be so fantastic to put the Miami Ypri like last year before the Miami mm. Grand Prix. Like, you know, just a cheeky move. Like, ah, Formula One is like, oh, there is a big race in Miami this weekend. You know, we were first there in 2015. I, so you can. I, I have a suspicion that they wouldn't do that because. Uh... Uh, although they are two separate companies with two separate boards, both sports are owned by owned by something called Liberty, and I I think that they would consider that to be a conflict of interest. Maybe, but but still, it was just an idea. At this moment in time, you don't see any, and I mean any historic content on YouTube, on Twitter, on any social media. It's like. There's the next race. That's it. Okay, there was a previous race. Let's see what happened there. Okay, maybe let's just see something from the season because, yeah, it was a long time ago. Let's just remind ourselves. Why don't put a video like few times ago, few years ago, we are changing cars and it was looking cool. Like short videos like this just to keep engagement. I mm -hmm. don't mean to, to put TV grade material, 22 minutes or whatever, just put a minute compilation of, I don't know, drivers changing cars. Well, uh, Set uh, to uh, slow motion from... to classical music like Tchaikovsky, like ballet, like whatever. Yeah. Uh, apart from anything, um, they they do actually have uh, two former YouTubers on their staff now, Radzi and Nikki Shields. Both both are. Um, I mean, Nikki Shields, um, I think, is still part of a car channel as well. So they yeah. they could they they could potentially do some sort of uh, uh, soft content related to travel and or you know. Explain, explaining the technical transfer, and this is this is not my own idea. Hazel came up with this first. Explaining the technical transfer between Formula E and road cars by using road car journalist Nikki Shields to explain it um, in yeah. a YouTube video. Yeah, and in the first years of Formula E, uh, before the start of the season, they were they were great videos com comparing all the powertrains, all the solutions from the teams. Of course, uh, in the first years, it was quite different because the teams were learning how things are done, how stuff is done. And for example, in the Gen 1 car, in the first first ever edition, uh, the gearbox had five gears. Right now, it sounds crazy because, well, why do you need so many gears in electric car? But back then, it was just experimenting. And later, teams were 
you know, trying maybe four gears, maybe three gears, maybe two gears, maybe only one gear in terms of forward and then other to go backwards. And it was a very cool video that you can come back and just remind yourself, oh, this team has two, uh, two gears in the gearbox. Okay, that's interesting. Oh, this has dual powertrain. This has this. This has doing. This is doing that. There's no technical content right now on Formula E channel, and for a championship that is desperate to show the innovation, to show the technic technological process and progress, as Hazel is was trying to to show to do for years, as mentioned, there is nothing. Like, and and um, also, to, to, to be know, fair, during mm -hmm. Gen One, during Gen One, Current E did this. Um, the 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 mm -hmm. problem was that uh, Current E didn't, I believe, have the readership uh, that uh, could keep it financially sustainable. Yeah. So so the the Current E creators uh, went off and did their own thing in terms of uh, uh, um, photography and publishing and marketing and so on. But uh, I I think uh, something like Current E could now potentially stand on its own feet better than it better than it could in gen one ambitious take uh because i don't think that there is as much popularity for content like this uh yeah there is a lot of people that are interested in the formula e but there is also the case that the teams aren't as open as it was in 2015 16 17 with, with the cars so Say, I think that... saying that though um i mean like if you look at formula one the teams are far more closed in formula one and they've got far more reason to be because the cars are completely unique uh, there are no spec parts or at least yeah. few uh, or, or at least only a few parts are allowed to be shared and yet you know um you you get uh, Giorgio Piola and latterly Jake Boxall leg doing detailed drawings of the cars I mean that that doesn't happen in Formula E well because in Formula One when you see at the car, you can see the difference. You can see different, different wings, different area, different stuff. In Formula E, the cars are the same from the outside. On the inside, they are different. So that is also not not helping because you have to convince people to watch the championship. And you can go and say, oh, but they have different powertrains. And then the question will be, okay, what's the difference? between the Jaguar powertrain and between the Mahindra powertrain? And what would be your answer? If you aren't so deep into the details, it will be way, really hard to, to answer. Like, for example, right now, I don't think I would be able to say what's the main difference between each, every, each powertrain outside of the fact that, yeah, they sound different. Uh, in the first years, yeah, it was easy because you could say about the, the dual powertrain systems or the gearbox, small things that allowed you to, to say, you know, the, these cars aren't the same as they might. Uh, IndyCar has the problem that people are saying, oh yeah, it's a spec series with different engines. But there is many parts that are developed in-house. Like, for example, there is, uh, I right now forgot. But some parts of suspension are developed in-house. And a few years ago, it was said loud and clear, right, they don't, right now they don't care. But 
still, Formula E is not in the position to just go ahead and yeah, and go, yeah, it's a race, let's watch a race. Mm. They have to promote, and there's no promotion. Um, I, I do want to uh, cover three more topics uh, uh, quickly before, before before we finish. The first one is related to uh, the noise of the powertrain uh, because I've been so impressed and I've gone back and checked this. Uh, I, um, I've been so impressed by the fact that when you listen to the on-car viewpoints of the Porsche-powered uh, cars, they uh, they produce the top note sound, which is the same spaceship sound that the Taycan produces uh, uh, at at low speeds, and um, uh, that's the kind of attention to detail which I've not really seen from Formula E before. Now it's uh, it's it's a perfect bit of uh, you know marketing and road relevance uh, thrown in there just to just to show that common link between being a Taycan owner and being being a Porsche driver to show that uh, you know some of that spirit is there and I, I think it's a really clever thing it's presumably artificially manipulated I doubt very much the Porsche Formula E powertrain would sound like that without some clever computer trickery but it's tremendous attention to, to detail I think and also the Taycan uh, road car um, uh, simulated sound uh, which is mandated by EU law is one of the best electric car sounds there is so it's so nice to hear it on a broadcast um, I, I want to hear your view on that, but I also want to hear your view on whether Porsche's Hyderabad weekend, both for themselves and Andretti, was a temporary blip. And are we going to see more more leading and more dominance because of their regen powers in future races? Uh, I've always been fan of Formula E sounds. Of course, I'm a little bit maybe damaged, as some people say, because the first proper event in terms of racing that I saw was the London Epri in 2015. Uh, I saw in live, on, in person. So that's why I don't mind the electric power trains. I've always thought that they sound cool. I didn't know that the Porsche Formula E sound is the same as Porsche Taycan. Which well, is so, so really this fantastic. this is just this is just my own observation. I've not asked anyone at Porsche this, but I, I okay. have gone back and listened to a lot of YouTube videos of Taycans, and yeah, I think there's something there. I think they're trying to do something, which is very clever of them if they are. Yeah, yeah, it's very clever, and this if this is really the case that they were trying to make it uh, as close as possible, they should promote it because. Well, if I hear about it for the first time, I don't think that many people know that. I'll but I, that. I think I think it's a fun Easter egg. I think it's intended for people who drive oh, Taycans to be able to say, oh, that's my car. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, to be honest, Porsche is very, very fun with Easter eggs because, you know, you see the halos every single time it's some sort of fun or whatever. Mm. So it might be the, the Easter egg, as you said. But going back to the pace in Hyderabad, I really think that it was more of the case that they weren't really sure if the software is safe. Because uh, in FP1 on Friday, Pascal Verlein had his massive crash and all the cars, all the cars with the Porsche powertrain were stayed in the third lane because the Germans weren't sure if this is software glitch, if this is something that it was hmm. that was only in Pascal's car, or this is just a bigger problem. 
so they lost crucial track time on circuit that wasn't known to them, uh, completely new. Of course, the cars are still brand new, uh, so you don't know how they behave uh, in these conditions. Conditions that, as we said at the start, were quite difficult with uh, with the dust, with the leaves all over the place. So these 20 minutes that they lost with how small time you have in Formula E to prepare your car to qualifying to race, it was crucial. So I would think that this was just a one time off. Like in the next races, they should be back to the form, but we shall see. Of course, the performance in Mexico and in uh, Deria was impressive from Porsche, from Avalanche Andretti. So I wouldn't say, I said that DS Penske is catching up, but it just, it might be a slightly case of catching up. But in my opinion, it's more of, you know, learning, understanding the, these cars, these power trains, these new tires, more and more and more. And throughout the season, the, the team should be more comfortable with helping stand. So I, I, at this moment in time, I would say this was one off from Porsche, but we shall see. Formula E is very un, unexpected championship. You cannot say that something will happen for sure. You can expect, but still there will be lots of surprises. Like, would you predict that Mitch Evans will be on pole position in Hyderabad? Probably yes, because he was fast in qualifying stations so far. But Jean-Eric Bern, with how DS Penske was struggling in the first two weekends, probably not. But this was the first lap. This was the, the first row of the grid. Would you predict that uh, Jaguar will do what they did with the attack mode? No, probably not. Would you expect that the best strategy in terms of attack mode will be 2 plus 2 minutes? Probably not. Maybe yes. Formula E is full of surprises and I think we'll see some in the next races. Absolutely. Um, one thing that I was very surprised about and uh, that you talked about flat circles earlier and we also talked about former Mahindra team principal Dilbad Gill. Well, Dilbad Gill uh, returned to public life last week uh, launching what what is currently known as Ace Formula, which is uh, uh, which seems to be using the shells of the former uh, Formula E Gen 2 cars uh, with a little bit of Gen 2 Evo bodywork. And um, Dilbag seems to be lever um, leveraging a few of his contacts from Mahindra. Uh, I believe that uh, possibly ZF, uh, uh, the former Mahindra powertrain uh, manufacturers, might be involved in the engineering uh, behind the scenes. Um, and the, the idea of this uh, uh, new electric formula is to provide a feeder formula to Formula E and to go to cities that are less served um, in terms of motorsport. And the, the, the reason I say flat circle is because, um, and I think I would be wrong to take the credit for this because uh, I, I don't think that I'm such a big name that they took their entire idea from me. Um, but uh, I, 
I I wrote this exact idea in terms of using the old, using the old chassis and going to cities that don't currently have an epre or a motorsport culture, uh, and um, um, I I I wrote that on Drive Tribe uh, back when Drive Tribe was still a website, uh, and uh, that was in 2019 and. You know, in the interests of solidarity, and I am being very tongue in cheek when I say this, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so pleased that uh, my idea has come to fruition uh, through Dillbag, and you know, Dillbag, if you want to uh, ever um, uh, talk to me about uh, the idea, then you know, come on the podcast. Would love to, would love to hear from you, sir. Um, but uh, yeah, your your thoughts on a Formula E feeder formula using the old cars? Because the trouble is, of course. You know they're they're talking about it potentially being around Gen two performance levels. Well, Gen two performance levels are better than Gen three performance levels currently. So they're going to need to detune that power that powertrain a bit, aren't they? Uh, yeah, and the idea of the championship is that you have the same cars, but you have two different series. Like you have let's say Formula two and Formula three but they have the same cars, but detuned for the lower level. So for sure, there will be some detuning. Of course, with that massive, massive aero package, it's, you have to, to make something to make them less, uh, less powerful. But the idea of Formula E feeder series using the old Formula E cars is as old as they are more than one generation of Formula E cars. There was a similar idea when Gen 2 started, but it didn't come to fruition. I remember the, the talks that the teams themselves would field their old cars. Uh, there was even an idea that to, 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 to use the series to promote women drivers, but at the end of the day, as I said, it didn't come up to, to anything. Because, uh, because the the main question was what to do with those cars. So the idea was, well, we have the cars, we have the power trains, let's make another junior championship. Um, we had Jaguar IPC Trophy that didn't work out. We had Robo Race that itself it's something. I don't want to call it a mess, but it's for sure not a championship, and wasn't a championship. So. The attempts to create something junior, something more to Formula E, uh, are basically from the start of the championship. Uh, of course, this seems more serious because you have developed car, you have Nick Heidfeld that was doing test runs at the Barcelona Catalonia circuit. You have Dilba Gill, you have Alejandro Agag that is also behind the ACE championship. So I would expect them to, to be on the grid in 2024. But my problem is who will drive those cars? Because the, the attraction for Formula E is behind the fact that it's a championship that you can represent a big brand, a big OEM. You can get paid for driving. You don't have to bring your own money. Because if you see at the current Formula E grid, there's no pay driver. There's no anyone that you can assume that got their seat because they have sponsors that are bringing backing. And we know that electric racing is expensive. Jaguar IPC Trophy was very, 
very expensive uh, from mm. uh, what I was told back in the day. It was great championship. It was in a way stupid because what 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 person what sane person puts so big cars on such narrow circuits as Formula E has? But I really enjoyed the races. I really enjoyed the paddock. I really enjoyed talking with M Sports uh, people with the drivers like Capueno, like uh, yeah. Sergio Marto, etc., uh, etc. Et but uh, electric cars are still quite expensive. And uh, if you don't put big OEMs, big teams behind this project, if you won't get, you know, your ART Grand Prix, your Primas, your whatever, it will be hard to bring drivers. It mm. probably there will be some drivers that will be that will want to show themselves in new environment. But look at the ERA Championship, for example. The, the series that was in works for quite some time, they were promising that they will try to, to change the landscape of uh, junior formulas that they, with their, based on uh, Formula 4 car, they have Formula 4 performance. Mm -hmm. And when the car hit the track, it was just... It was bad. I, I'm sorry to say to the lovely people of the ERA Championship that are working the, the bus off, to make it work but these cars are slow these cars were very very slow very boring to watch and the level of the drivers was just questionable at the at best there were some interesting names of course and we shall see what will it look like in this season if the season will go on of course but if i would assume that smart eq trophy in italy have faster cars than the Formula 4 based championship, it doesn't sound great. And I'm really worried. I'm really, I'm, I'm really worried that there won't be much people to, to race in the ACE championship, no matter how great the concept, concept might be. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I mean, um, for, you, you have lots of drivers who are underemployed right now. I mean, um, you, you know, some someone ought to give Bites Kavissa a go, for example. There, there are lots of drivers like that out there, and I'm not just talking about women drivers. Yeah, but, I... uh, you know, there, there, there are lots of people who are currently uh, basically doing sim work at factories, and you, you just feel like uh, there are lots of people who would, who would like to not have so many weekends off right now. Yes, uh, I do agree. But you mentioned drivers that are unemployed and possibly they are unemployed because they don't have budget and at this moment in time i don't think that the ace championship can offer the attractive proposition to those that don't have money to compete in formula 2 formula 3 in some other categories uh because formula e yeah these are professional teams that pay the drivers so it's an attractive alternative to, to staying in Formula 2, for example, like it was with Sergio Seti Camera, who decided, no, I don't want to spend my money. I will bring some my, some of my sponsors, but they are not detrimental to the Neo Free for Free team. Hmm. They are just the sweetness to, to the deal. And I will get paid. I won't spend my own, my family's money, and I will be able to, to race in the World Championship. Ace Championship at this moment in time, won't have that attractiveness. 
he, he will have to bring a budget right now and we shall see we shall see i might yeah. be a bit pessimistic because i'm pessimistic about lots of things in life of course i'm keeping my fingers crossed for Dalebach and for the the whole ace championship team because the more series the more championships in the junior formula the better and of course formula e desperately needs something to fill the schedule if it wants to bring the people because i'm sorry to say but if you decide to spend your time at the racetrack it has to offer something more than just three hours of action because right now you don't have even the first practice session on saturday mm. so you go on the racetrack quite early in the morning many times you just go see one practice session you see qualifying you see a race maybe at best there will be some concert between or after the race and you just have to wander around the e-village which is fantastic of course i don't deny it but it's not enough I really... you, you, you know um what what would be a great thing and i don't think this would happen because it's a bit of a 1980s idea in in its uh in in, in its concept but um, Stellantis is one of the manufacturers in Formula E. Um, Stellantis is currently making a souped-up version of the Fiat 500 electric, uh, such as such as it is. And um, I, I I would pay good money to see a support race, uh, you, you know, set up like Procar, the BMW M1 series from the early 80s in Formula One, where the Formula E drivers and maybe a few test drivers and ringers and uh, out, and out of work racers take part and ju just cane a bunch of Fiat 500 electrics round for 20 laps. Uh, the the cir circuit. I mean, you talked about the I Pace Trophy. I the I Paces were always too big for the Formula E circuits. The Fiat 500 electric is perfect for that sort of street circuit, surely. Yeah, and to be honest, Fiat 500s, in terms of electric powertrains, have some background in motorsports because they were they were attempts in Poland to get them into international championships. There was one company that was trying to make them into rallycross, hmm. and they even raced in British Rallycross Championship as a support category. There was few of those cars. I think you can check them on YouTube. Uh, you know, it was mostly a, a street car, just, of course, modified to safety standards of, uh, of racing, especially in Rallycross. Uh, but it didn't catch on. Um, and after one season, it, it stopped. Uh, I talked with the person behind the project. He was very ambitious, of course. But at the end of the day, it stayed in this vacuum. And I remember that there was an idea to make a class in uh, high hill climb championship in Poland for Fiat 500e. Hmm. Uh, so from what I remember from the stocks, uh, many parts from Abbott and, and from the sporting versions would fit into the electric version. Of course, the powertrain would be something to work on but at the end of the day you could easily make fiat 500e into a race car but at the end of the day the most important thing is who will foot the bill is Stellantis so committed to electric powertrains and to formula e to put fiat on the track 
you have to remember that with Jaguar, the the idea was also to promote the brand of Jaguar. Mm. Of course, they worked also to to help develop the iPace in the street version. I still remember, and I, I will probably do it to the rest of my life. The press release saying that because of the e trophy, they were able to change the software of the road version to extract more power from the power. Uh, maybe not more not more battery more distance more range from the battery mm. from the same battery because of the lessons learned in motorsport and this is something that could be very useful but they people in Stellantis people in other companies that are involved in uh, in formula e have to realize that yeah maybe maybe you can we can do something uh, Porsche did uh, a concept version of uh, of electric racing car, the Michelin. You probably saw that one. Mm. Uh, it's said to have performance near the the Cup car, near the 911 Cup car that is in Porsche Super Cup, Porsche Carrera Cup Deutschland, and all the other Carrera Cups around uh, around the world. But so far, we've seen the concept car. They modified the Cayman GT4. To, to have the powertrain that would be in possibly in this car in Mission R. So maybe hmm. this would be a good fit for the Formula E bill. But it's just our thinking. So far, there isn't much talk. There isn't so much. Maybe there is some behind the scenes that we don't know. But so far, there isn't much smoke that yeah. the situation is going to change. And to, to be fair, a lot of electric racing has this problem. I, I remember when I went to an ETCR race, I was struck by the amount of time between the duels and uh, also the fact that a duel between two cars or three cars just doesn't look spectacular. Yeah. Um, so so uh, the, 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 there are always issues with electric series, but uh, I... I'm I'm convinced that uh, the future is interesting at the very least. Um, by the way, uh, the the future is very bright. I got a notification on Discord while I was logged in that uh, uh, from the OpenAI Discord server that there's a new version of ChatGPT out, folks. So you know, oh. uh, l- life is still fun, huh? <laughs> um, and um, also, uh, um, uh, less jokingly, you uh, wrote on the Motion E Discord server, which, by the way. Folks, you're very welcome to join tinyurl.com forward slash motiony will get you on there. Um, and you wrote about your love of French pop music and how you were watching the French uh, Music Awards. And uh, we talked about Eurovision um, in the group for a bit. See, it's not just Formula E nerdery, folks. And that made me think, you know, there is... There is some synergy, uh, and I'm not just talking about the logo type between Formula E and Eurovision. And Motion E does Eurovision is going to happen this year. I'm going to do either a podcast or a live Twitch stream uh, with uh, with some friends uh, friends of the pod, and uh, we're we're going to have some fun. Um, hopefully, you'll be up for that, Kristoff. Um, we'll see. We'll see because. Um... <laughs> I'm getting very emotional and very passionate about the uh, Eurovision concerts in the last two years. So uh, I I need to see who's on the list, what songs are, and I if I will decide that they won't be a big favorite for me, that I would get angry about not winning. 
I, I might join, but for sure I invite you all to Discord. We watch races, we talk about lots of stuff. It's a fantastic place. So if you are a fan of Formula E and you want to spend some time talking with people who also enjoy this championship, this fantastic championship, then just join us and let's talk and let's have fun and let's argue also about uh, racing, about music and all things in life. Yeah. And uh, all of the links, by the way, are uh, under linktree.com or linktr.ee forward slash motion underscore e and all of the links are there, including the website and uh, the podcast feeds and Twitter, Mastodon and Discord as well. Um, Krzysztof uh, Wojniak, it's been really good to talk to you. Um, I've kept you on for rather a long time, but uh, I think we've had a good rant tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And once again, thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, thank thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Motion E podcast. Uh, the next episode will be about road cars. And I'm quite excited uh, that we'll be talking to journalist Dr. Jonathan Gitlin there. So looking forward to that. Anyway, thanks very much for now. And bye-bye, everybody.